Okay, today um, the scripture is uh, Matthew um, chapter 4, verse 1, and then Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 through 7, and it can be found on page 670 in your pew Bible. I'll give you a few minutes to find it. Okay, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Matthew chapter 4, 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Debbie. So, we uh, continue our time in the wilderness. We're there last week. We'll be there again next week. And significant to understand what's going on, why we're in the wilderness with Jesus during our Lenten journey. And an image that I put up on a slide, an image I've tried to give you that kind of holds this together, is the understanding that just as a general principle, a vessel with the least resistance will conduct the most power. We kind of talked about examples of that. A vessel with the least resistance will conduct the most power. And where that is significant for us is that we came to understand through the baptism of Jesus Christ that we are a vessel, that that Jesus comes to identify with our humanity, but in baptism we identify with his, as we say, his death and resurrection, and we become followers of Christ, and we become vessels through which the power and authority of the kingdom of God, what God is seeking to do in this world, why Jesus came in the first place, the continuing work of Christ, God seeks to release that, to exercise that through us. But for us to be conduits as followers of Christ of the authority and power of the kingdom, we need to have the least resistance. One of the things that's compelling about Jesus that we've talked about that makes Jesus, Jesus, (laughs) different is that he has no resistance to the authority and power of the kingdom that it flows through him, and that's why we see this incredible authority and power. And yet, Jesus says, and he doesn't just come to do these things for us. He does do these things for us. He, he, he paves the way. He's our pioneer. But he says, in following me, I will do these things through you. And so the idea is that Jesus isn't just someone we look at and go, man, wow, no one else is like Jesus. We, no one else can have no resistance to the authority and power of the kingdom. No, Jesus says, you as my followers can do what I've done, be the same kind of conduits. And Jesus actually says something really starting. You can even do more than I have done. And so the wilderness is about confronting the three most common, the three greatest sources of resistance that we have to that promise, to that reality. And last week we saw that the first source of resistance to the authority and power of the kingdom in our lives is our appetites, our hungers. And today, as you heard, we come to the second temptation, the second most common source of resistance. And it's a a pretty basic setup. The devil takes Jesus to the temple, the Jerusalem temple, to the highest place, most visible place where everyone will see him and says, jump. 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 And and the rationale, why jump? The the rationale that, that Satan gives is actually still common wisdom today. I mean, basically what the devil is saying is, look, if you give the people what they want, then you can give the people what they need. So give them a little show. I mean, give them a little show. Give them a little taster. Give them a little advertising of what's going to come. I mean, how much mileage would you get, Jesus, from a death-defying, and wouldn't that be what it is, a death-defying attempt 
that would, I mean, you're gonna, it's going to be a real crowd pleaser. People are going are gonna to sign up. And to get behind this, I want you to understand the nature of this temptation, why it's so significant. In essence, every temptation as we know that the devil puts out to Jesus here is, if you are the son of God. So the devil basically says, look, if you are who you say you are, if you are who you say you are, Scripture says, he quotes Psalm 91, that the angels will protect you. No harm will come to you. If you are who you say you are, prove it. Show them. And if you've come to do what you said you've come to do, if you're going to accomplish what you said you're going to accomplish, if you're the son of God, then no harm, no foul. Jump, because there's no way anything's going to happen to you if you haven't saved the world yet. So jump. But Jesus wants no part of it. Jesus says, boom. It is also written, do not put your Lord God to the test. Okay. Is that it? I mean, can we wrap this up in two minutes? And we say, okay, so the, the message is, look, God is very, very busy, and he does not like to be tested. God gets cranky when you ask him to do stuff. Don't put God to the test. Well, okay, on the one hand, is Jesus saying don't test God? I mean, there are places in Scripture where we see that there's that same response of, you know, don't test the Lord. But I want to push you a little bit so that we kind of go deeper than this, because there's other places in Scripture where God tells us himself, test me. God says, test me, push back, test me. So, okay, which is it? Is, are we not supposed to test God or are we supposed to? This is bigger than this. The statement that Jesus is getting at, that Jesus gives us, is getting at what the heart of what's going on here. And what the heart of what's going on here is, and a great way to think about last week, this week, and next week, is these three temptations may be different, and how they're different matters. But what they have in common, the common thread between all three temptations, is trust. Last week, Will you trust God with your appetites, with your hungers? Will you trust God to provide for you? This week, will you trust God for your safety and security? Will you trust God for your safety and security? Now, when we talk about safety and security, I'm not talking about, you know, if there's a tornado, if something's about to fall on you. We talk about safety and security, and that has that meaning. I'm talking about a deeper understanding of safety and security. What's going on here is, when we talk about safety and security at a deeper level, not reacting to something that might happen, it's this idea. Am I okay? Are you okay? Am I safe? Am I secure as I am? What is going on here is the temptation that is put before Jesus is the temptation for validation. It's the temptation to be successful. It's the temptation to know that I'm okay. And think about it. We all want to be successful, don't we? We all want to be successful. I mean, I have yet to meet the person who goes, you know what my aim in life? My aim in life is to be a failure. I want to be a failure. Everybody wants to be successful. Everybody. The problem, as we all know, the, the struggle is, is that apart from God, what defines success? How do we determine what success is? Apart from God, and this is where we're getting at it, apart from God, the determination of what's successful is based upon the, the approval and affirmation of others. Others decide what's successful. And so fundamentally what we're getting at here is this is fundamentally about seeking to be successful. Seeking to be successful based upon the approval and affirmation of others. Now, if you doubt that this isn't just everywhere in our lives, 
I, this service is a little different than the last service. Last service I was explaining it's not the Facebook, it's Facebook. But how many of you have a Facebook account? Raise your hand, you're on Facebook, come on. Okay, Facebook, awesome opportunity to share with the people that we know and if we don't put any filters on with everybody, what's going on in our lives. But there's that little thing, every time we make a post, you know what it is, that enables people to say that they liked it. Now I'm gonna come clean, when I put something on there, it's not like I put it out on there, let everybody know, and then walk away and never look at it again. I put it on there and I come back and I want to know if anybody liked it. <laughs> and I get really upset if somebody didn't like it. Why didn't they like it? I thought that was cute. I thought that was clever. I thought that was cool. I got 25 likes. Oh, yeah. Right? That's a, Facebook is based on that. You want, you, people liked it. YouTube. YouTube is a whole way in which we can share ourselves with the world. And trust me, there are a lot of people sharing stuff they should not be sharing on YouTube. <laughs> but all you gotta do is put a video up and anybody can see it, but it's all, YouTube's all about people liking it. I mean, you, you, you go and see, YouTube's got more videos on there than you ever watch in your lifetime. Which videos are you gonna go watch? The ones that have gotten you know, thousands of people who viewed them. And somebody says to you, oh, you gotta go see this video on YouTube, based on the idea, what's a successful YouTube video? It's been affirmed and approved by others. What's a successful Facebook post? People liked it. If it just sits there and no one says anything, trust me, you're not, I'm not alone in this. You're like, oh man, I wish, I'm gonna delete that from my timeline. <laughs> that wasn't cool, okay. <laughs> we want to be successful. Broader than this, we wanna be perceived as good looking. I have yet to meet the person who goes, you know what, I want people to think I'm ugly. We all wanna think we're good looking. We all wanna believe we're attractive. We all want to be talented. I have yet to find the person who goes, you know what? My goal in life is for people to realize I have no talent whatsoever. We all want, at some level, for people to think we have talent. We all want to believe that we're skilled, that we have skills. This is the very, we, some of us have been in these waters. Some of us are still in these waters who are here today. But this is what childhood's all about. Want to be the best looking person. Want to be the most popular person. Want to be the most athletic person. We, the end of the year, senior year yearbook is all about voting on who are the people that are successful. Who is most likely to succeed? I'll go even smaller than this. When you, and, and if you're in this, I apologize. If, you're, if it's your past, I'm sorry if I'm bringing up bad memories, but nobody likes to get picked last. Nobody wants to get picked last. And yet, think about how we parent and how insidious this is for us. You know, no one says to their kid, you know what, go be average. Man, go be the worst in your class. We want our kids to be the best. We want our kids to be the top. And so we instill within this the sense of success is being seen as being successful, being affirmed, being approved. Think of how often we talk about being proud. Proud is often related to things that have been done, that have been accomplished. When's the last time you said to someone, I love you just because? And more often than not, it's so hardwired in us, we'll go, well, why? There has to be a reason. Why do you love me? Well, because you make those muffins that I like. Okay, good. We don't, we don't receive it well. I just love you because. That doesn't work with us. We don't get that. There's two ways that we live this out. Two, two, two different kind of ways that this practically gets lived out in our life. Seeking validation, living for the approval and affirmation of others. You may fall into one of these two camps. If you fall into both, please come and see me because you really have got problems, okay? First way that we live out trying to seek validation, approval from others, is we are striving to exceed expectations. 
Some of us in here are the, the strivers. We are always striving to exceed expectations. We are driven by our fear and insecurity because there's that bar and that bar always gets raised. So if we can stay ahead of the bar, that will take care of our fear and insecurity. The question that haunts us, we who are striving to exceed expectations, the question that just stays in the back of our mind is this. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? And then there's another group. Others of us in here are not driven to exceed expectations. We're trying to measure up. We're living our lives trying to measure up. Maybe we've had people in our life who all the time have just been telling us how we don't measure up. How there's this bar and this is how far away you are from it. Maybe we've had people all our lives who've told us you just aren't living up to your potential. Why can't you be like him? Why aren't you like her? How come you can't do what they're doing? And maybe for some of us, this has been magnified by the fact that we've screwed up, we've blown up. And so even as we try to aspire, as we try to measure up, we have people telling us, well, you blew it. So it doesn't matter because you blew it. You're never going to get there. You, you screwed up. And for us, if you're in that place where you're trying constantly to measure up, you're driven by guilt and shame. Driven by guilt and shame of how you've messed up, of how you are not living up to your potential, how you're not enough. And where the person who's striving to exceed expectations is driven by this question, haunted by this question, am I good enough? You, you, if you're that person who's always trying to measure up, you're not haunted by a question. You're haunted by a statement that just won't go away. And that statement is this, it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. And so in your life, when things happen, when people say, oh, that was a good job, you're like, oh, no, I was just lucky. No, I was just lucky. Oh, no, you did a really good job. No, no, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I, that, that should, you know what? It, it's not enough. It's not enough. It'll never be enough. These are the two different ways that we live out in our lives seeking affirmation and approval where you see that happening. And, and the manifestations of those two orientations, what does that look like? Well, if you fall into one of these camps or both, if you're seeking affirmation and approval, if that's what you live for, then you're probably a perfectionist. And I know we got some perfectionists in here. Everything has got to be perfect. It's got to be perfect or it's not good enough. Maybe you wouldn't describe yourself that way, but if you're seeking affirmation and approval of others, we've got some workaholics in here. You are working and working and working because but gosh darn it, you are going to produce. You are going to be above the production level. You are going to be above the bar. And if you want to know that being a perfectionist or a workaholic is about approval and affirmation, here's the litmus test. If you're a perfectionist or a workaholic, don't you get ticked off when people aren't as perfect and don't work as hard as you? Why is that? Don't they see how perfect I am? Don't they see how hard I'm working? Why aren't they doing that? They should care as much about this as I do. Care about as much about what? About what other people think. Now, some of you in the midst of this right now have been, you know, you could might as well just kind of kick back and put your arms because you're like, oh man, this is a great Sunday because I am not caught up in this affirmation approval thing. I am not a perfectionist. Gosh, no, I'm not a workaholic. You know, I am a nonconformist. I'm a rebel. I'm the person who's the anti and you know who you are. I won't ask for a show of hands. You know, you're, the, you're the contrarian person. You're like, this sermon doesn't even apply to me. This is awesome. Because I could care less what people think. By the very nature of you saying that, exhibit A, you do care what people think. The very fact that you have to say, well, I don't want anybody to think I care about this. 
demonstrates that you're paying attention to the opinion and approval of others. So you could sit back and say, oh, that stuff doesn't get to me at all, but trust me, it does. Again, the litmus test for you if you're a nonconformist, what you do is you try to dress it up. You know, I'm not a rebel. You try to dress it up by being all hipster and saying, I'm just trendy. I'm a trendsetter. You know, when everybody else is wearing that or listening to that, oh, gosh, I don't, I don't go with the crowd. But here's the litmus test. The minute that everybody starts listening to what you listen to and wearing what you wear, all of a sudden, I'm not wearing that anymore. Why is that? Why all of a sudden do you care? The thing that both groups have in common, our perfectionists and our workaholics and our, our nonconformists and our rebels, think about this. Both groups draw attention to themselves. Both groups draw attention to themselves. Both groups want to stand out. They want to stand apart. Both groups care about what people think, just in a different way. So I've talked to you about what this looks like. I've talked to you about how it manifests itself. Let me even give you some more practical examples of this so that, it, I mean, I know this is cutting deep for me too. In this last week, you want to see if this is a, a, is a problem in your life, seeking affirmation and the approval of others? Just in this last week alone, how many times in this last week alone did you ask another person what they thought of you when you already knew the response? You know what I'm getting at? You're asking the other person what they thought of you when you already know the response. And I mean that in a positive for you perfectionists and workaholics and in a negative sense. So you're saying, so how did I do? And the person says, oh, you did a phenomenal job, man, it was great. I don't think you could have done better. That's what I was looking for. That's the right answer. And you know how you know you're looking for this is you get ticked off when they don't, when you don't get the answer. Now, for you nonconformists and rebels, you're in the same boat of you say things because, and you already know the response because you do something. You act out, you wear something, and someone goes, you're going to wear that out? Or, wow. You know, and here, here's a great example. You're in the car with everybody else. You're in the car, and you know that they hate your music, but you, and you know everybody does. You put it on, and you put it on loud. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe you think this is music. Are we going to listen to this? And you're going, that's exactly what I was going for. Yes. When, this when during this last week have you, put, have you asked people what they think of you, about you, when you already know the response, when you're trying to get a reaction? When have you put yourself in places this past week, and we all do it, put yourself in places where you can be praised or get noticed? Intentionally put yourself in a place where people will see what you're doing. My children here? No. My kids are great at this. <laughs> you know, my kids go out of their way to let us know when they cleared the table. And my wife and I have gotten to a place where we don't, say, or open, cleared the dishwasher, where we don't say anything, and they're kind of like, um. <laughs> yeah? Do you notice what I did here? Yeah, I noticed. Well, how come you're not saying anything about it? We do that all the time. When do, you, do you put yourself in places where you're going to get praise, or where you're going to get, again, a reaction, where you're going to get someone saying something about it? It's any expression in our lives where we have the need to be needed. Where in your life do you need to be needed? And I'll tell you the place, sadly, that many of us engage in this consciously and unconsciously, is it's as parents. As parents, we struggle at times. I'm a parent. I'm speaking as a parent. We struggle at times to accept our kids as they are because we need to be needed. You ever think about the expression we use? We say we're raising children. You ever think that expression's nuts? We're not raising children. We're raising adults, right? 
Isn't that what we want them to become? We want them to become adults. Yet we say, I'm raising kids, I'm raising children. I'm not saying it's everything, but it's possibly the reason why we say we're raising children is because we don't want them to grow up. Because we need to be needed. Affirmation and approval, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I've given you some examples and I could give you more. And here it is. We may not be throwing ourselves off of buildings. Okay, we may not be throwing ourselves off of buildings. But just in this week alone, how many times have we sought to prove ourselves with our gifts, our roles, our possessions, our families in order to be approved of or in order to get attention? It's dangerous. It's a dangerous way to live, to live for approval. And I want to talk to you about three reasons why it's dangerous to live this way, to live for success apart from God, to live for the approval and affirmation of others. Three reasons why it's dangerous. Reason number one, it's a vicious cycle. You will never be satisfied. You will never be at peace. It's a vicious cycle living for the affirmation and approval of others. Image control, that's what we call it. Image control is all about me trying to define and justify how you perceive me. But it's bogus because I can't control how you perceive or see me. And even if I have a little bit of control, think about it. Even if I have a little bit of control, the very fact that I'm giving you the authority and power is taking away my control. It's a vicious cycle because opinions change, feelings change, situations change. If the only way to measure our success is through the affirmation and approval of others, then the quest for success is a perpetual dead end in our lives. We never get there. Dangers of living for affirmation and approval. It's a vicious cycle. Second, it is a betrayal of others. And it is a betrayal of ourself. To seek approval and affirmation is a betrayal of others. And it's a betrayal of ourself. Guys, this is going to hit you between the eyes because it hits me between the eyes. If we are doing unto others in order to please them, if we are doing unto others in order to please them, not because we love them, but because we need them to like us so we feel good about ourselves, we're betraying that relationship. And yet, even though many of us consciously would say, no, I'm doing this because I love you, can we really, do we really reflect on why we do what we do? Don't most of us, deep down, even though we want to say it's for love, isn't the primary reason why we do the things we do, we're doing unto others in order to please them because we need them to like us in order to feel good about ourselves. And that's a betrayal of that relationship. We're using them and we're using ourselves. Think about later, the, and these temptations get echoed later. Later on, when Jesus will con confront the Pharisees and religious leaders, what is the primary problem that Jesus has with the Pharisees and religious leaders? What he, the primary problem he has is that they are not doing what they're doing out of love. You, one way to summarize it, the primary problem that he has is they're not doing what they're doing out of love. They're doing good unto others, as he says, in order to be seen. They do the right things in order to be seen. And if you remember what Jesus says, Jesus says they do the right things in order to be seen, and they want to be noticed, and they will be noticed, and that's their reward. That's where it stops. To tie this together, how is it a betrayal of others and of ourselves? What we're doing when we're using other people, when we're doing unto them because we need them to like us, to feel good about ourselves, what's happening there? Why is it a betrayal? Is what we're doing is we're portraying the image of righteousness, of being in right relationship. But we're not in right relationship. 
We're not engaging people for who they are. We're engaging them like vampires for what they can give us in terms of our approval and affirmation, in terms of our confidence and our identity. The dangers of living for approval and affirmation, it's a vicious cycle. It's a betrayal of others and it's a betrayal of ourselves. And thirdly, the reason why it's dangerous, and many of us know this, we're living it, the danger of living for the affirmation and approval of others is the performance never ends. The performance never ends. It's the lure of celebrity. You've heard the expression that everybody gets their 15 minutes of fame, right? Everybody gets their 15 minutes of fame. But here's the question. At what price? At what price? How far will we go to get those 15 minutes? I talked to you about reality TV, and I'm going to go back there again. Does anyone else notice that the people that are becoming celebrities are the people on reality TV shows? Does anyone else notice that reality TV is giving more and more people to get their 15 minutes of fame? But do you notice reality TV? Reality TV does not get watched if it's two people having a conversation at lunch and going to the, going to the Home Depot. Reality TV works. It's arresting television when two people get together and they start wailing on each other. Gossiping, fighting. I mean, the more that chairs get thrown or the tears come or the shouting happens, we're glued. We're glued. At what price comes our 15 minutes of fame? And how hard will we work to hold on to the, beyond those 15 minutes? How many of these people that we're seeing who are ordinary people who got a reality TV show who now are celebrities? They're famous. I mean, what is her name? <laughs> Not Honey Boo Boo. I'm going back far. I don't even want to. What's the, uh, Snooky. Really? Really? I mean, you have people out there who are trying to be like Snooky. I, was, I came back from Austin, some of you know, and um, I was on the plane last night, and I was on the plane, they showed, showed a commercial, just to show you how hard we'll go, how we'll to keep on to those 15 minutes, and it's not just reality TV stars. I was watching a commercial for the new season of Donald Trump's Celebrity Apprentice. Now, if you don't know the show, this is Donald Trump getting, not just the regular apprentice is getting everybody, people like you and me together, and we get to basically get, you know, com compete with each other, backstab each other, and get, then get told we're fired until there's one person left standing. Okay, but now we've got the celebrity edition, and I'm watching the promo for this, and you're seeing all of these celebrities. These are people who won Grammys. These are people who are like Oscar nominees. These are people who, like, were at the top of, the, of, their, of their venue that are so desperate to hold on to their fame that they actually are willing to lower themselves to be on Donald Trump's Celebrity Apprentice. They are going to basically walk around doing menial tasks, backstabbing each other, you know, competing with each other, being made fun of, being told they're fired, except for there's one person left standing, all for the sake of being in front of everybody else, of getting the approval of others. The performance never ends when you live for affirmation and approval. When you pander to the crowd, when we pander to the crowd, if you pander in your life to even a single person, and I know many of us right now as I'm preaching have a name of a person that's coming back who we would kill for their affirmation and approval. In fact, because we don't have their affirmation and approval, we're dying inside. Think about that. We're dying inside. But if we pander not just to the crowd but to one person, a single person, we are subjecting ourselves to a lifetime of acting on that stage. Because all of our energy and our focus will be devoted to playing the part of who they want us to be. Of who we keep telling ourselves we can be. 
trying to be as good as our brother, trying to be like our father, trying to live up to our, our, our boss's expectations, whatever it is, trying again and again to can tell ourselves that we're what other people say we are or that we, who we really want to believe that we are. And yet, as hard as we try, as hard as we work, we will continually find ourselves chasing the applause. And this is why. I don't, and again, I know many, I'm talking about family members right now for you. Friends, and they love you, they care for you, but they're broken just like we are, okay? I'm not trying to insult them, but when you live for the affirmation and approval of others, the reason why the performance never ends is because as you spend a lifetime seeking that one person or many people's approval, you'll always be kept on the stage because to them, and therefore to yourself, you're only as good, you're only as valuable, you're only as worthy as your last performance. Who are we trying to impress, beloved? Who are we trying to impress? We need to turn and embrace the one who made an impression on us rather than trying to impress others. We need to turn to the one who made an impression on us, who created us in his image and his likeness, who made his impression upon us so that we would always know who we are because we would always know whose we are. So we wouldn't have to live Constantly seeking the affirmation and approval of others. Okay, I'm going to assume that you're at a place where, how do I let God affirm me? How do I let my father affirm me? How do I receive my father's approval? And I'm going to come back to something I talked about last week. It starts with scripture. You have to be in the word. Notice what I said here. I said in the word. This is very important. I didn't say you have to have a Bible. I didn't say you have to know the scriptures. I said you have to be in the word. There's a very significant meaning to emphasizing in. And to get you there, something I haven't talked about is notice in this second temptation how Satan changes his tactics. Do you catch this? The first time Satan just says, look, you're hungry, Jesus. Turn stones to bread. And Jesus comes back with scripture. Well, Satan jumps ahead of Jesus this time and says, Jesus, here, taking the top of this temple, everyone can see you jump, because after all, and he begins to quote Psalm 91. Think about that for a second. The devil knows the Bible. If that's not a motivation in and of itself for you to be in the word, if the greatest enemy we face knows scripture, don't you think you might ought to know it too? Don't you think you're it's very likely for you to be taken advantage of or to be misunderstood. Maybe the times in your life where you thought it was God, where someone put the Bible in front of you and you got burned and twisted, maybe that was the enemy at work and the reason why you didn't realize it is because you aren't in the Word. Because you didn't know any better. You just heard Scripture and figured, well, it's Scripture. Notice what, the, notice what Satan does here. Before I go there, because when I've, I've talked about this before with people, I have people who say, look, I know the scriptures and I'm pushing them and what I'm saying to you is it's not enough to just know the word. You can't just know the Bible. You have to study it. You have to study the word of God. And when I've said that before, made that distinction, I've had people who've said, look, either I've studied it before and I've stopped studying it or I don't study it at all because it's this simple for me, Pastor Chris. They say this. They go, the Bible says it and therefore I believe it. The Bible says it, therefore I believe it. Really? And, and normally this gets associated with people, and this is a real big thing for me, so I'm sure I'm going to tick some of you off. You can come talk to me. People who want to go, oh, I just take the Bible literally. I just take the Bible literally. I'm a literalist. 
Okay, do you notice here that Satan's a literalist too? Psalm 91 says, jump and they'll catch you. Let's be literal about this, Jesus. Jump. It's not enough to know the scriptures. It's not enough to know a verse here and there. It's not enough if all you're doing is a devotional study and you're picking out little scriptures. Oh, I love what that says. Because guess what? Fortune cookie Christianity is the way of the devil. There's a lot of bad theology out there. A lot of people who are professing to represent God who are just taking scriptures here and there from snippets that they've gotten, but they're not in the word. You have to study the word. You know why? Because this, studying the word is key because while Satan demonstrates he knows the word, knowing the word's not enough. We need to study the word so that we wrestle with the author. That's the point of this book. We wrestle with the relationship. It's not enough for us to know the what of scripture. Satan quotes the what. This is what it says. We need to know the why. We need to know the why. We need to understand why does it say that. We need to wrestle with the character and purposes of God because that's what scripture is about, the relationship. And we need to do it with the Holy Spirit. Notice Jesus has the Holy Spirit upon him. I'm sorry, but if you are shying away from the Holy Spirit, if you don't like that Holy Spirit stuff, you can read this and you can make it say all kinds of things, but you're not going to experience the power of the scripture apart from the Spirit. Word and Spirit goes together. You need to be calling upon the Spirit, relying upon the Spirit. And some of you are in here have IQs out the, out the wazoo. You're really smart. And you can be as smart as all get out. You can go to college, seminary, whatever. But if the Spirit is not a part of your studying in the Scriptures, you are dangerous. Dangerous. And I'll give you a third one that's right here. The Spirit's upon Jesus as he's in the Word, here in the wilderness. But also, we don't notice this. The Scriptures, being in the Scriptures, studying them, has to be done in the community of faith. I can't tell you how many Christians I encounter who basically not only say the Bible says that I believe it, but they're, if they're studying the scriptures, they're studying the scriptures on their own. There is no biblical precedent for that. The word of God is read in community because it's in community that we wrestle with our own desire to make it say what we want it to say. And it's modeled here by Jesus. You'll miss it, but you've got the Trinity right here in the wilderness. It's not explicitly stated, but the, the Son is there. And we know from later on in the Gospels, he listens to the voice of the Father. So you can imagine as he's being confronted, he's listening to the voice of his Father. And we already know he's living out of the power of the Spirit. It's no different for us. You can't just have a Bible. You can't just know the Bible. You've got to be in the Word studying it, relying upon the Spirit, listening to the Father, and doing it in community. But it doesn't even stop there. It's not sufficient to just simply know the Bible and even study the Bible because Jesus gives us the third piece, you have to apply the word. Some of us in here have been in Bible studies for years and it's been spirit filled, but there is no application in your life. It is not all about knowledge here or frankly here. It's not just about what you know and it's not just about what you feel. It's about applying it. If we follow the word, then we do what it says. Jesus comes and announces the kingdom and says, repent, turn around, wake up, hear. But he also says, believe. Live it out. Jesus puts it another way. The person who hears the word of God but does not put it into practice is like a foolish builder. And everything they build falls apart. But the person who hears the word of God and puts it into practice is a wise builder. And their house stands through the storms, through the temptations of life. 
How do I let my father affirm me? How do I receive the approval of my father? I have to be in the word. Not just having a Bible, not just knowing scripture, studying it and applying it. And Jesus applies the word here. He rebukes Satan with a passage from Isaiah. And in rebuking Satan, trusts his father. He puts it into practice. He doesn't get into a theological debate. Well, I don't think that's what Psalm 91 means, actually. I think that what the author was intending there and I think if you look at other places, Jesus says, look, I've studied the scriptures. I'm in communion with my, the voice of my Father. I'm living out of the power of the Spirit. You're quoting scripture. That's not what it means. That is not the will of my Father. That's not the character of my Father. Therefore, I will not put him to the test. That's us. That is no different for us. Beloved, we need to consistently talk with the Father through the word, by the power of the Spirit, following Jesus to hear what our Father says about us. We need to do this consistently because we need to come to the Father with all the stuff that other people tell us about ourselves. All the stuff that other people put on us. We need to seek his opinion and need to listen to his affirmation. Right here in Matthew, what does our Father say about us? The very fact that Jesus is tempted in the wilderness is God saying to us, I get it. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be tempted, how good it feels to have affirmation and approval. God knows what we go through. But what we also learn about our Father through Jesus here is, I'm not going to get short-circuited. I am not going to succumb. I am going to push through this temptation. And it's not just something I'm going to do. I'm going to do it through you. You can conquer this with me working through you. Beloved, we need to allow the Father to have the say, notice I said the say, not a say, the say as to who is speaking into our lives. I'm not talking about the people you, so just the people you, I'm talking the people who speak into your lives. Our Father should have the say through his word by the Spirit following Christ as to who is speaking into our lives. Many of us have lots of different voices speaking into our lives, telling us who we are. And those voices should be subject to the authority and declaration of our Father. The people who are speaking into our lives, telling us who we are, what our identity is, should be those who reflect our Father's affirmation and approval of us. And there's no room for anybody else. You can be friends, but they don't get that access. Because if you give them access, guess what? The resistance starts to build. Now, let me clarify here. When I say the people who should be speaking into our lives are the people who reflect the Father's affirmation and approval of us. You know what you don't need? You don't need suck-ups. We don't need people who tell us, you're perfect just the way you are. It's a lie. You're not perfect just the way you are. I'm not perfect just the way I am. That's bogus. You're not perfect just the way you are. You need people who are going to say to you, you're not perfect just the way you are. You're broken, but God loves you despite your brokenness, not because you're not perfect. God loves you in spite of the fact that you're not perfect, but God loves you enough that he's not going to leave you where you are. We don't need people who flatter us, who tell us we're fine just the way we are. That gets us nothing. But on the flip side, we also don't need slave drivers. You do not need people in your life who are always saying, what have you done for me lately? Well, yeah, I saw you did that, but what about this? Well, yeah, I saw you can do that, and I see it, but you, what about this? Slave drivers are people who are always cracking the whip. Come on, perform. Show me something else. Impress me. Make, me. make me proud. We don't need those people in our life. Those people in our life build up the resistance. Our father is not cracking a whip going, hey, dance. Show me. Our father puts his arm around us and says, I love you. I love you not because of anything you do. 
I love you because I created you. And I'm not cracking my whip saying perform. I'm putting my arm around you and let's look at what we're going to do together. Look at what I'm going to do through you. But first you have to let me put my arm around you rather than waiting for me to crack a whip. We don't need suck-ups. We don't need slave drivers. What we need, and this is why I keep coming around to this in every sermon, we need disciples. We need disciples, fellow disciples. We need people speaking into our identity who are people who are following Christ. We need people in our lives who are following Jesus, who are striving themselves to listen to the Father, and who are looking to live out of the authority and power of the Holy Spirit. Those are the people that we should be giving access to our identity to reflect the Father's affirmation and approval of us. Because here's the deal. We need to look for the approval and affirmation from the one relationship. There's only one relationship, only one. The one relationship that can, where our desire for affirmation and approval can actually be satisfied. It can be satisfied. Do you know that? But there's only one relationship. And it's the same one who gives us his approval and affirmation, who's demonstrated it for us, his unconditional love who declares our worth and value before we achieve a single thing. He says it when he goes into the waters and he says it in the most definitive way when we're tempted again and again to listen to all the different things that the world throws on us, that the world throws on us and the world's throwing stuff on us all the time. We're throwing it back on ourselves. All this crud, all this sludge, all this stuff that's not us and God in Christ is continuing to peel away to clean off all the dung, all the crap, all the stuff that's not true. And the most definitive way where he does it is on the cross with his arms open wide saying, I love you. I love you. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I believe that when Jesus says it is finished, he's declaring we're done with this. We are done with seeking the approval and affirmation of others. We're done with what other people try to make us into and try to make us be. We're done with trying to be something that we're not. Jesus opens his arms and says, I love you. And in that moment becomes a reflection to say, this is who you truly are. You are a son and daughter. You are beloved. I'm well pleased with you. And in that moment when we see our reflection, that's that moment where Jesus' arms go from being stretched out wide to coming around us to say, let's go. There's a future that's waiting for each one of us. He's declared our worth and our value before we have achieved a single thing. Is his approval enough? Is his approval enough? I once knew a, I once knew a, a, a boy. <laughs> Poor kid. I mean, he, a uh, lot of excitement, a lot of energy. He actually ended up getting diagnosed that he was, had attention deficit disorder. He had also hyperactivity. And this kid, just because of it, had just such a hard time fitting in. I mean, he just was always getting into trouble. I mean, it almost became like a, 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 a memorized script of apologizing because the assumption was that if something happened, it was, it was his fault. And in fact, it got so hard for this boy to try to fit in. It was so just did, struggling to know who he was that he literally almost took his life. He literally almost took his life. But God intervened. God intervened and said, this is who you are. This is who you are, and I love you. And that boy, even though he came to understand that life is precious, that his life was precious, that boy grew up to be a teen. He grew up to be a college student. 
A college student who got so caught up in wanting to make a name for himself. A college student who got so caught up in his power. So caught up in wanting to prove himself. So caught up in wanting to show everybody how worthy he was. How valuable he was. How he could make a name for himself. He got so fixated on that that he nearly self-destructed his future. He nearly blew his future up because of stupid, foolish decisions that hurt him. That hurt other people around him. He nearly blew up his future. But the father intervened. The father intervened and said, this is who you are. And I love you. And even though that, 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 that teen, that youth, he came to understand that his future was secure in Christ, that he didn't have to work for his destiny, but he had to live out the destiny that God had prepared for him in Christ, this student grew up to be a man. A man who in the midst of living out his calling, his vocation, was haunted, haunted by not wanting to fail, haunted by not wanting to fail, to let people down. And he was so haunted by it, trying so desperately to keep all these plates spinning that he nearly just took the path of least resistance and decided to play it safe and to settle, to coast. But God intervened. And said, this is who you are. You are never going to fail because I don't fail. If you are with me, you will never fail. And what I have called you to do, it may be hard, it may be difficult, but it will happen. Because if I am the author of it, what I say happens. No exceptions. It's not about you. I know that person who for 40 years struggled to embrace the Lord's approval and affirmation. I know that person because that person is me. And as I'm in this room, I know that I am not alone in what I am describing. Some of you have less years on me, and I know you can relate to what I'm talking about. And some of you have more years on me, and even though you have more years on me, I know you can relate to what I'm talking about. And maybe you can relate to what the problem was from a boy to a teen to a man is that all along, as much as God continued to intervene for me on my end, what I just kept saying to myself, what I kept telling myself was, well, I'm getting better. I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm getting better. Are you saying that in your life? In the midst of his approval not being left? Well, at least you're getting better. You're not as bad as you used to be. And it was true. I was getting better. I wasn't as bad as, I'm not as bad as I used to be. But here's the thing, you need to hear this, this is everything. Our Father doesn't want better for us. Our Father doesn't want better for us. Our Father desires, our Father promises the best for us. He wants us to be free. That's a word, a four-letter word. God wants us to know what that means. Do you want to know what it means to be free? And don't you deep down go, I hope it means more than I've experienced to this point in my life. God wants us to be free, unleashed. God wants us to be whole. Aren't you tired of living fragmented, segmented lives of being this person here and this person here and this person here and having to remember who these different people you are and all these different relationships and all these different places? God says, I want you to be whole. God says, I want you to be yourself. I want to keep taking all that crap and crud so you can actually see who you are. And beloved, he's already told us. 
He tells us we are co-heirs with Christ. Think about that. We are co-heirs with Christ. He tells us, as he reflects to us, this is who you are. You have been clothed with the robe of righteousness. You can live in right relationship. You have the ability to be in right relationship with others. He tells us we're his children. We're adopted. He doesn't say we're strangers. He doesn't say we're friends. He doesn't say we're acquaintances. He doesn't say we're servants. His primary thing, he says, is you are my children. And he says we're his ambassadors. Think about that for a second. We're his ambassadors. He says you're going to represent me. This is how much I love you. This is how much I trust you. This is how much I'm pleased in you. You are going to represent me. Why? Why are we resisting? Why are we resisting the one in whom through love and grace has made an impression on us, who continues to make that impression upon us? We need to stop resisting. We need to stop resisting. We need to stop resisting so that we can make a good impression on others, but not in the way that we've understood it. God wants us to make a good impression on others, but the good impression that God wants us to make on others is not about us, it's about them. God wants us to be his ambassadors, his vessels, to impress upon others, to reflect as Christ does in our lives, this is who you are. You are not what the world says you are. You are not what other people make you out to be. You have an identity. You have a destiny in Christ. God wants us to make a good impression on others, sharing with them, revealing to them who they really are, telling them, church, you are a son and daughter of the king of the universe. You are my brother and sister. When's the last time you said that to someone? You're my brother and my sister. When is the last time you spoke like that? You are beloved. You are beloved. Stop. Beloved. God loves you. You are one in whom our Father, and this is really important, and I am well pleased. Parents, spouses, church, can we start telling each other we're pleased with each other without having to prove ourselves to each other? Can we, can we do that? That's what our Father says to us. You want a starting point, practice it right here. When's the last time you told someone, I'm pleased with you, I'm proud of you, and there's no, no because of? We need to tell people who they are, that they're sons and daughters, they're our brothers and sisters. We need to tell them they're empowered, that, that our Father is well pleased. But here's the key. We need to let them know they've been empowered. That God wants his authority and power to come through them so that they can join us in bringing this kind of freedom, this kind of beauty, this kind of good news to the world. That's what we're about. Beloved, who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to impress? You don't need to. Because God, our Father, in Christ, through the Spirit, has already made his impression upon us. Amen? Amen.